Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornchai. Brother, it's good to be back another week. Uh, this week, we're going to be picking up um, from, I think, two episodes ago. We started a three-part series in the book of Romans, specifically chapter 12. We had someone um, message us with a couple questions and said, hey, we'd love you to uh, cover this stuff in chapter 12. And so um, we did really kind of talked about verses one and two. Previously, we sort of broke up uh, this chapter kind of in three main sections i think different commentators break it up you know a a little bit differently here and there but for the most part this seems to kind of be the standard uh understanding and like paul does with a lot of his writings he gives an introductory statement um and and then kind of moves in from theology to sort of practical living right so he gives he gives the grand theology of things and then he sort of gets down to the nitty-gritty as it were, how does this apply to your life? What does it look like in uh, in our Christian walk? How does it affect our Christian walk? And Paul's pretty consistent with that, isn't he? I mean, most of his books seem to sort of, uh, epistles seem to flow that way. Um, so we're going to jump in this episode to uh, verses three through eight. So let me start by just reading that. I'll read from verse one, and then Eki's going to enlighten us and give us all the details from there. Paul says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, as I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. That's the end of verse 8. So why don't you just kind of connect verse 2 to moving into this section uh, for us, Eki. I mean, how, how does this all flow together? How does it go together? What's Paul doing or thinking here? Yeah, as you mentioned, this is um, Paul starting off really the application because the first 11 chapters have been very theology-rich. Chapters 1 through 8 specifically talking about uh, not only the gospel, but life in the spirit. And then 9, 10, or 11 uh, addressing the question of Israel and what happened to them. And then in chapter 12, we really get the the main commandment uh, from Paul. And I would argue that everything that flows for through the rest of the letter really falls under this commandment, which is to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And that last part, the spiritual service uh, of worship is important because when you look at Paul's writings, um, not just Romans, but when you look at, for instance, 1 Corinthians, 
when you look at Ephesians, Ephesians, the very first command is to uh, live uh, in a manner that is worthy of the calling by which you have been called. You will see that the first way that Paul applies it is to the body of Christ and how they are to serve one another. And when you look at 1 Corinthians and you read the opening of 1 Corinthians, his opening concern is really the body of Christ. And that, uh, and a lot of that culminates as he talks about spiritual gifts by the time you get to chapters 12, 13, and 14. Um, he talks about how spiritual gifts are meant to serve the body and one another. And so when we get to verse 3, I believe that is the focus that Paul really gives to us. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. Now, if we were to stop right there, um, that verse by itself, th those statements by itself may not be all that helpful because how do we know how we ought to think? It says, don't think more highly than you ought to think. Fortunately, he doesn't just stop there. He says, but to think so as to have sound judgment. And I think that ties into verse two, the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So to think rightly is to think with sound judgment and not only with sound judgment, but as has God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now, this measure of faith, I don't believe that this is talking about the idea that some people have more faith and other people have less, but I think this is leading into the fact that everyone's been given a different gift. And Paul is encouraging us to use those gifts to the benefit of those who are in the body of Christ. So verse 4, just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And then verses 6 through 7 and 8, he goes to give examples um, of those gifts. So to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think kind of makes me think of 1 Corinthians 12, when Paul had to remind the Corinthians that everyone has a function. And even the the, the roles that are deemed less attractive, uh, less public, uh, you're to give them honor. You know, so because they're, you know, the some like the the eyes don't say to the nose or, or the, the, you know, this part of the body doesn't say to this part of the body, I have no need of you. When we think about all the different parts of our body, even the parts of the body that people may not see as much, for instance, our feet or our toes or something like that, you know, those are all important to us. And so we have to treat our members as being important as well. So to not think more highly of himself than you ought to think, um, the way I look at this and the way he's applying it, don't think that you are more important to the body than other people. Don't think that you are somehow God's gift to the rest of the church but recognize that you are a part of, of, of other members, part of a group, and you've been given a gift by the Holy Spirit. Use it for the benefit of others. And as you're doing that, that is what it means to, uh, going back to verse 2, to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect, because God's will is for us to grow in Christ and to be able to serve as part of the body, but also more, most importantly, is to not lose sight of the central mission of the church, which is that as we serve the body and we serve one another, the church is to be a witness for Christ to the rest of the world. Yeah, and you know it, that's really good, Eki. And the I, I think we're really just talking about humility here, and I love that Paul starts by talking about renewing the mind, right? And then I mean you tie that together really well because then Paul starts using. Uh, the language of the members of the body. And I think you said in another episode, right? Get over yourself. You're not that important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, but really that, I I mean, that is true. Like how yeah. often do we uh, elevate ourselves because we think we're a better part of the body or we've got it together more 
But you're right. If you go, um, you know, to First Corinthians 12, uh, that whole section there where he's basically saying, you know, we're, he really fleshes out the various parts of the body, right? The eye cannot say to the foot, I have no need of you. Um, and he does that several different times and he's making the point. Um, and of course, he's referencing the body again here. And I think that that really is important because we are just a part of the body and one part isn't enough for the body to function. And so we really can't have this pride and arrogance um, because alone we aren't a functioning body in, in the greater sense of the body of Christ. And yeah, yeah, we, we need, and he starts in verse two, he says, do not be conformed to this world. And I like that because he's, he's, he's separating here um, kind of the, and I think by implication it's, it's pride and arrogance and kind of this me centeredness that's worldly. Right. And he goes on and talks about being renewed and then starts teaching that, Hey, you're a part of the body of Christ and you've got to operate that way. Um, and so it is actually very practical when we think about it, you know, yeah. I mean, how, how are we to be humble? Um, how are we not to think more highly of ourselves? Well, the first thing is we got to have our mind renewed. How do we have our mind renewed? Well, we have to be in the word, yeah. right? And then what that looks like, I think Paul goes on to give us a good picture. Um, I, I, and I think we could say, maybe just in the simplest terms, what does it look like to not think of ourselves uh, too highly would be simply to understand that we are a necessary member of the body attached to other necessary members. Um, and so we're sort of on a level playing field as far as that goes. Yeah, and there's the Old Testament illustration going back to verse 1 about uh, living and holy sacrifice. Uh, we know in the Old Testament that the Israelites were called to bring sacrifices to the temple, to the tabernacle, animals that would have to be sacrificed on the altar. But the emphasis here is that these are not the same kind of sacrifices. This is a living and holy sacrifice. Living, meaning different from those sacrifices of the Old Testament where you would actually kill the animal. This is you as the sacrifice. And he goes on to say at the end of verse one, this is your spiritual service of worship. And this is all possible, just as you mentioned, the renewing of the mind, which comes through scripture and the result being that you may prove what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. But I love how Paul opened up verse three. He says, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you. So this is Paul not saying that I'm not saying this because I'm more important than you guys. I'm not saying this because um, I am like Christ, uh, but but I am saying this because God has given me the grace to say this, to not think of yourself more highly. Now, Paul was an apostle. He has God-given authority over the church. He is a big part of laying that foundation of the church that we see in Ephesians 2.20. But even then, he recognizes it's only by grace. And when we think of grace, what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor, or another way of saying it, undeserved blessing. So he realizes that though he is an apostle with authority, it's only by the grace of God that he is in that position and he's able to say this uh, to the believers at in, in Rome. And it's the, again, it's the same message that if you read Paul's other writings, he says this over and over again because more than anything, and I, I think of Philippians 2, Philippians 2, he starts off with, let me take a look at that and just show you how he 
starts off Philippians 2. He says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion. So he he stacks up these conditional clauses. And of course, as a believer, you want to affirm all these things that there are there is encouragement in Christ. There is consolation of love. There is fellowship of the Spirit. There is affection and compassion. And so then verse 2, he gives his command. He says, make my joy complete by being of the same spirit, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then from verses 5 all the way to verse 11, he unpacks this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ as the ultimate picture of humility, the ultimate example of for us. So this is how important it was to Paul that he says his joy, which by the way, if you read Philippians, he uses the word joy and rejoice over and over again throughout the letter. He's in prison rejoicing that the Philippians sent someone up to him, even though he didn't need it. He's rejoicing that though he's in prison, the gospel is not in prison, but it is spreading. He is rejoicing that even though there are certain brothers spreading the gospel out of jealousy and wishing to harm him, that Christ is proclaimed. So he has a lot of reasons to rejoice, but he says, make my joy complete. And how do you do that? By being united. And so we see this theme over and over again from Paul, and it is really the underlying theme that goes throughout the entire book of 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians, all this division, all these issues, and at the at, at the center of it all is their lack of unity with one another. And so no, no surprise here, Romans 12, your spiritual service of worship is, is actually your living and holy sacrifice to God. And, and verse 3, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but have sound judgment and exercise the gift as has been given to you. Yeah, that's good. And it, Paul talks about the grace given to him in lots of passages, right? And so in some ways, um, I, I mean, it can kind of be confusing if you've not read the previous chapters. It's out of, if you just kind of read it out of context. I mean, in Ephesians, he says almost the same thing. Uh, yeah. Ephesians 3, 7, he says, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. And just as you said, that's really, I think he's referring to the grace of his apostleship. And so in that same way, the evangelist could say, you know, he preaches from the grace that God's given him. The teacher can say he teaches uh, out of the grace that God's given him and so forth and so forth, um, so forth and so on. And, and, you know, those who aren't in those particular offices in the church minister to one another out of the grace they've been given. And so Paul's just really talking about his apostleship, I think, here, as you say. Um, I, I, but I think the key in, you know, if you're dissecting this and you're thinking, how does this apply to um, us and to our lives? I, I think that humility part is huge oh, yeah. because he starts with that mm -hmm. and then kind of goes into the examples of, um, you know, it, how we serve, right? Each one serves according to the grace given to him, uh, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. Of course, we understand now we, when we preach the word of God, that it, we're prophesying the word of God. There are no more office of prophets, those ceased. But he goes on with the one who exhorts um, in his exhortation, the one who gives with liberality, you know, all these things. But it's all being done out of humility, um, which he starts with. And that's a hard one, I think, for our day and age, especially if you kind of look at the culture in which we live and how, you know, the things that are encouraged and fostered, it's very much a me-centric 
um, society that we live in, right? Um, my church, my ministry, um, you know, and so humility could be something that's very difficult, I think, to to come by. I don't think it's difficult to develop, actually. Um, I think we develop it by being in the word, right? Yeah. Um, and then he goes into this example. So, Eki, let me ask you this. Let's say you're covering just these passages. Um, you, you've been you've been going through it expositionally in the church, and you get to hear, and someone says, okay, so I kind of see how two and three work together. Um, two, Paul sort of giving us this, this broad command and sort of the general summary. We're not to be conformed to the world. Um, so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that way we can prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. And and the there should be a lot of confusion in that. I think it's a result of, right? If our right. minds are being renewed, we are proving what the will of God is because we're functioning out of out of that, uh, right? Yep. Out of God's will. And then you get to verse three. Paul starts by appealing to his uh, apostleship. And really here, I think he's demonstrating that instead of lording it over them, um, he, he's just saying, look, I'm teaching you not because I'm better than you, not because yep. I'm special in right. some way, but because this is the grace God's given to me. And the reason, the way I get that is because then he references the body after. Um, yep. And so it just seems to me that he's he, he's giving God the glory for even his uh, apostleship in in teaching the the Romans. But then he goes down to all this thing. So what are we to do now with, okay, so I, I know that I need to be renewed. I know that I need to be humble in the body of Christ. Um, and I need to serve um, in in the, with the measure of faith that I've been given. Yeah. So, Lucky, what do I do with these other verses? How do I do that? I mean, what does that look like, right? It, it says, if service in his serving, if teaching in his teaching. So what are the kind of uh, applications or other things we need to understand about verses three through eight in terms of how we're functioning from being renewed? Um, yeah, if you know what your spiritual gift is, use it for the glory of God. Use it in the context of the body of Christ. And in fact, these verses here, and one of the things I would reemphasize with those who are in the church is this is why you need to be in the church. Um, there is no such thing as a lone wolf Christian. There is no such thing as living a life following after Christ, uh, absent uh, from the body uh, body of Christ. And as Paul emphasizes, we are one body, and all the members are part of that one body. You know, I I, I want to just bring in kind of the analogy of the Trinity. We know that the Trinity is three persons: God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet there are one God. We are multiple different members of the body, and yet we are one body. That is the body of Christ. So whatever gift you have, you want to use it to be able to serve the body because every church you go to, there is a multitude of needs. Um, there, there is no such church, such thing as a church that has no needs. Um, every church has needs. And so you want to be able to fill those needs. You want to be able to serve others through those needs. And the church itself shows itself to be a much better witness of Christ to the world when the church is doing that for one another. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So whatever your gift is, look for a way to use that gift. Meet with your pastor, meet with your elders, meet with um, whoever's mentoring you within the church to get some feedback, get some ideas on, on what you can do. Now, for those who do not know what their gifts are, 
just look at what the needs are of the church and start serving. It is through service that you will slowly start to recognize where it is that you can contribute. And don't get hung up on this idea that you must know what your gift is before you can mm -hmm. serve. If you don't know That's what your good. gift is, just serve. And it's similar to like when I first met my wife, she was thinking about serving in the nursery uh, ministry where she was at. And she was telling me that she was praying to God, waiting for some sort of direction before making that decision to serve. And at that time, and I'd only known her for maybe a couple of weeks, I told her, I said, just serve. I just, just, you don't have to wait for a sign from God to do that. Just, just serve. God's not going to chastise you. How dare you serve the body of Christ without stopping and waiting for me to tell you that it's okay. You don't need permission to yeah. serve the body of Christ. And if you find out that you're serving in an area where you're not gifted, so like, like, let's say you decide to serve in children's ministry, you find out that you're not very gifted talking to children, dealing with children. That's okay. You, you know, at least you learn something. And that time that you spent in that ministry, you actually served the body. Even if you discovered it wasn't wasn't your thing, you might decide you might discover that, hey, you know, I'm I'm able to play some instruments. Maybe I can be a part of the praise team, you know, or, or I'm good at administration. Maybe there's something in the background that I can handle. Maybe, you know, just recently, this past week in our our church, we're looking at um meeting California requirements for um for training as it re relates to workers who work with children and, and really the, the laws in this case are meant to try to protect children from any potential predators so it's a it's a good law there's a certain amount of training that's that's needed and involved but we needed someone to be able to track all the background checks that are happening you know the the training that's happening and all that so we got someone who's actually very good at administration keeping records someone who's going to be discreet and, and not not a gossip and all that so that was an example of someone who has good administrative ability and skills being able to fit that kind of role but if you don't know what your gift is, just figure out what the needs of the church are. And I tell you what, even if, let's say, even if the church only has one need and you don't think that need fits your giftedness, but you have the availability to serve there, I'd say you, you're giving more glory to God by serving, even if it's not your area of giftedness, right? So ideally, you want to be able to serve according to your giftedness, but the most important thing is to serve. And I, I like what you said. You said the most important part of all this is humility. And that's why in Philippians 2, when Paul says, make my joy complete by being united in one spirit and one mind, he goes on to give the example of Jesus Christ as the ultimate example of humility. And you will not find a better example of humility than Christ himself. And especially the way Paul uh, phrases it all from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through all the way through 11. He emptied himself and he humbled himself from being in the most highest, loftiest, most glorious position in the form of God to adding on the form of a man and making himself look like a slave and then humbling himself and emptying himself and obeying God to the point of death, even death on a cross. So yeah, how do you do this? You, you serve. You, you have to be a part of a church and you have to serve. And, and so for any of you who are listening to this, you're not in a church. And I, and I recognize there are some, there may be some reasons why um, you haven't found a church. There's no good churches around you. They're all um, they're all off base in terms of their doctrine. Um, and you know, in that case, um, pray that uh, a church may start up that's going to be solid, or pray for an opportunity for you to be able to move someplace where you can be next to a solid church. But if that's not the reason, if you're just not a part of a church because you think that you can live your Christian life on your own, then let me rebuke you right now and point to this passage 
and show that this passage assumes that you're part of a local body of Christ. There's no such thing as a Christian without a local body. So go find a local body of Christ, get plugged in, start serving, bless the body, and in the process, be a part of the great commission that Jesus Christ gave, not to individuals, but to individuals as part of a church. Yeah, I think that's a really good word. And it, it, just to kind of go back to the whole thing of um, if you're in an area that doesn't have a sound church, I, I think we need to deal with this, right? You you look at this passage, you go back to verse one. This is part of how you present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. So you go to verse six and Paul says, since we have gifts, right? Mm -hmm. there, there's no some people, there's no if, ands, or buts. It's you do. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, so grace is given us in different gifts, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, and this is part of our living and holy sacrifice to God. And so it, it's a good point that you cannot do that outside of the local church. Um, and I think one of the things that is seemingly becoming a little more prevalent is this idea of there's no good church in my area because they don't check every box. Yeah. Right, and I think that's a huge danger. Um, uh, un I would say, unless a church um, is teaching a heretical doctrine, right, you find the healthiest one in your area, uh, and it doesn't have to check all of your boxes. In fact, it doesn't even have to check um, any of quote unquote your boxes. They need yeah. to be biblically sound in the things that matter. They need to get the person work of Jesus Christ right. Um, they need to have a, a, a decent ecclesiology. Um, it, basically, they need to be. They need to have the gospel right. They need to be baptizing, professing believers. Um, they need to, you know, uh, exercise church discipline. They need to take communion together. And then, in the midst of those things being solid and right, their soteriology and that uh, sort of thing. Um, everything else, to be quite frank is something you can put up with. Um, you find the healthiest church in the area. Uh, I, I'm concerned that a lot of believers aren't fulfilling this command because we've just become too picky, even in the reform camp, right? Um, we've gotten to where, okay, they preach the gospel, they're an expository preaching, their ecclesiology is good, their soteriology is good, um, and they sing one song from a place we don't like, and so now we just don't go to church because we say there's no healthy churches in the area. Um, and I use that example because I don't think any church should be singing music from Bethel or Hillsong. But if if the only church in your area is still struggling in, in some of those places, but everything else is solid, um, you could be in that church. Yeah. Like the option to just not go should is not an option for the faithful Christian. Right. Um, and so we really got to kind of take a step back and ask the questions. I think, what are the absolute necessities uh, in terms of what a church has to be and must be? And then where are areas that maybe they're off, um, but it's something I should endure? Um, and so I'm just a little concerned. I'm seeing more of that kind of nitpicky Burger King Christianity you know, I, I want it my way in the conform camp, in the in the uh, reform camps. So we'll just throw that out there. Um, but Paul's what Paul's expectation here is that each of us are exercising these gifts. Um, you know, in the local church, that's a command. There, uh, I like what you said about if you don't know what your gift is, just get in and serve. Um, and, and just to point to scripture, just 
the one another's right yep. um <laughs> would confirm that you can serve in the church right so we don't have to look for well i'm gifted in you know um accounting uh so if i can't help with that in the church then i don't really need to serve no you still need to love one another serve one another lift up one another you know just all the one another's um and so you just get in and and serve and i think kind of going back to the humility thing um when we serve i don't think it should ever be because the pastor needs me to serve i don't think it should ever be because someone's not doing this yet in the church necessarily i think the heart posture is there's a need in God's house. And so I want to serve God. And, and, and I think that's what, um, I think that's what the humble heart goes to first. Right. And of course we, we want to help brothers and sisters who we love and we want to, you know, help the elders and we want to do things, uh, you know, that the church needs. But I think the, the heart posture at the beginning has to be, you know, I so love God and I so want to be a living sacrifice that I'm happy to serve wherever because I'm actually serving God. So if it means scrubbing the toilets, um, then you know what? I'll, I'll help do the janitorial stuff. Um, m- maybe that's not my gifting. Maybe I don't like it. Maybe I need to wear a clothespin on my nose. I don't know. Um, but I'm doing it because I'm serving God. And maybe in the midst of that process, you find where your giftings are if you don't know. Uh, or you just encourage others uh, to, to serve you know, in that way. And God gets glory for that, and and He's honored in that. And I think you know to 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 live our life in a way that's a holy sacrifice. We can't forget that second word, sacrifice. Sometimes yeah. it means we do things we don't humanly want to do, mm-hmm. right. um, but we right. know they're right and they're good and they need to be done. Yeah, and to think of it another way, um, you're right. First and foremost, we want to serve God. But as we serve God, the reason why we fill those needs is because the people of the church need it. And so to to say that I'm not going to do this even though people would benefit from it because it's not my gifting, just think about that for a moment. I mean, that mm-hmm. that that is actually very selfish thinking. If people in the church have a need and no one else can fill it, but you're physically able to fill it, um, then to say I'm not going to fill it because I don't have a gifting now makes it about you rather than about God and rather than about the body of Christ. Um, just, let me give you a, an illustration. I had the pleasure of going to the Czech Republic a couple of different summers to help lead a short-term missions team out there. And the primary ministry that we had during the daytime was that we ran an English camp. So we would teach English, we would have some athletic activities, and then at nighttime, we'd have a nighttime of fun that ends with um, testimonies, gospel presentations, breakout groups to talk about the spiritual matters and stuff like that. But the hardest part was always recruiting people to come and join the team. And one of the top excuses for why people didn't want to join is because they don't know how to teach. Um, they're not gifted in teaching English. They don't have any experience in that. And really, if you ever go to the Czech Republic or a country like that, that you know engages in these kind of summer camps, they really don't care what your background is. What they know is that you know English, right? And if you know English, yeah. then you can teach. And, and so in that case, now I'm not saying that anyone, any Christian should be able to teach, but in that case, in terms of teaching English, what was more valuable was people just willing to be there and, and willing to do the best that they can 
And though we had a number of people who were willing to pray for us and, and to donate money, which was very important, we give praise to God for that as well. Uh, a lot of times what teams need are people that are willing to just be there. And what was amazing about uh, being there at that camp is that, you know, you, you've got these families and you had multi -gener multiple generations of families together there at the camp, attending that camp, seeing people come from a wealthy nation like America and, and finding out that these folks gave up their own vacation time and raised money in order to come to the Czech Republic just so that they can teach people how to speak English and to be able to share Christ. That is a powerful testimony all by itself. So just to tie this illustration in, in terms of people that say, I don't know how to speak English, or I don't know how to teach English, my question would be, well, do you speak English? Because if you speak English, you're qualified, right? You're qualified to serve in even the lowest levels of service within the church because you have the spirit, right? Um, there, there are certain positions that require very specific giftings, but when it comes to other positions like, you know, just the need to fold up chairs, the, the need to clean up tables after a potluck or something like that, you know, the, the need to, uh, the, the need to help usher people to an open spot in the sanctuary when people come in a little bit later. I mean, those are all, those are all things that just about anyone can do if you're able to walk and talk. Right. And, and so just the sacrifice is providing a service to the church. And more importantly, is providing a service to God. And it's, as you mentioned, it is sac sacrificial, it is humble, and it's not self-oriented. Yeah. And I think, you know, the more we find ourselves doing these things, it, it's interesting. I mean, and, and it's to be expected. God, through the Holy Spirit, uses these things to even renew us and, and you know, to increase our love for Christ and for his church. I mean, as we serve, I mean, there is a real spiritual dynamic. God softens our hearts as we serve. Um, you know, he, uh, in his providence, often uh, will bring people across our paths that either we encourage or they encourage us. And so, yeah, I, and and this is the mindset. I I actually, I, I rarely bring up the, uh, the, the little headings in Bibles, but um, I looked at several of them. And if, if you look under chapter 12, um, which, by the way, these are not uh, inspired titles, right? Um, it says dedicated service. And I, I, that's very fitting for this chapter, yep. Um, yep. because this is really what what Paul's talking about here. What does what's God's expectation of our service um, in not necessarily? I mean, primarily it plays out in the local church, but in the body of Christ, right? And so, if we are to be um, transformed, right, into the image of Christ by the renewing of our mind, and not to be like the world, if we're to operate out of humility, and in the context of you know, chapter 12, he's talking about using our gifts that we've been given. And so it is actually a very selfish thing to have gifts and not to be using them in the church. Um, you know, and so if you're no, if you know you're good at something and the church is lacking in that area and you have the, the availability, you know, or you can sacrifice some time to do it, right? Then, then you should do that because God's not given any of us talents or gifts um, whatever you terminology you want to use to just be used in a worldly manner. They're all ultimately um, to be brought into uh, the body of Christ to edify each other and to ultimately bring greater, greater glory to God. And, but sacrifice is the one we have a hard time with, right? Um, sometimes it means you got to cut out that Friday night football game you love uh, and go serve the church. Right. Um and I will say this, I think this is one area where guys probably struggle more. You know, if we looked across the board, uh, we, we often find 
ladies are very willing um, yeah. to get involved and to serve. And I think this is increasing uh, where the guys are are being more involved. But I'd like to see a lot more of that, right? Um, and so, guys, you know, get, get in the church and talk to your elders. And if, like Icky said, if you're not sure what your giftings are, although I think if we spend a little bit of time thinking, right, we can we we can come to conclusions about what we're better at and what we're not. And those are the places to start. The, the the places, the things you love doing and the things you're good at doing. Start start there, um, and just jump in and you know and serve. And I think e- even little things like, I don't know, picking up the trash um, after yeah. uh, the service. I, I'm just trying to think of like the most monotonous, mundane thing someone might do. If someone were to just go after all the lights are turned off, pick up all the trash in the service. If you understand in doing that, that you're doing that because you love Christ and you're doing that out of, serve, out of service for the Lord, you know, I mean, there's something so powerful in that that someone doing he a public teaching without that same heart um god is far more glorified in the guy picking up trash yeah. than the one who's on a stage teaching hundreds of people if if the heart of the teacher is in the wrong place and the heart of the one picking up trash is in the right place um and so you know i think that's just the point of this section where whatever giftings we have wherever we are in the body of christ and then, of course, we're going to get into all these one another's we mentioned in the last section here, right? And so, really, what you're going to find out is Paul leaves no room for someone who is not serving in some way in the church. Um, yeah. it, it's impossible to be a part of the body and to be a dead part of the body because the body of Christ is a living body. Um, and so, yeah, I, this is such a great chapter. Um, well, as we kind of end this here, Eki, today, why don't you sort of tie all of that um, up for us? What would be uh, sort of our last thoughts or kind of the overall big picture? I've kind of been all over the place. Sorry, guys, I'm packing and all kind of things are going on. Um, and my it's a little bit foggy here in Alaska today. And so my brain's a little bit foggy too. But uh, so why don't you clarify that and kind of wrap all this up for us in a tight, neat Let package, me, um... Eki? Let me clarify with scripture. This verse came to mind. I'm in John chapter 13, starting in verse 5. says, uh, Then he, being Jesus, poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. And so he knew he was the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, Not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Now, I don't think Jesus is going to say that he was particularly gifted in washing people's feet. Of course, he's God in human flesh. He can do all things well. No one ever says they're gifted at picking up trash off the floor. 
No one ever says that they're specifically gifted unless they have experience in just cleaning toilets and that kind of thing. Sometimes it's just the willingness to be able to wash one another's feet because we love one another. And ultimately, we do this because we love Christ. Jesus would go on to say, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, then you are to love one another. Um, so this is really a way for us to express love for one another. And in so doing, showing that we are the disciples of Christ. Bottom line, that's all that service is. Amen. Well, guys, I hope that this has been helpful to you next week. Uh, Lord willing, we'll pick up the third part and finish out this chapter. Um, if you don't know, we have a YouTube channel, Truth Be Known. Uh, you can go to that. The link's in the show notes. We'd love for you to follow us there. And by the way, we have G3 conference coming up. And we have something incredibly exciting uh, that's going to come out at the G3 conference. So if you are at G3, you are going to want to stop by the Truth Be Known table. Uh, we'll be somewhere in there. I don't know where we're at yet. But uh, look around. Find us. It's going to be really exciting. And there's going to be something to do with all of these books in my background here. Um, yeah. So that's going to be really cool, too. Uh, guys, we hope that this has been helpful to you. Hope that it's edifying, that it helps you to um, grow in grace and love for Christ and for his body. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.